so good to see each and every one of you out on this fellowship meeting tonight. I'm not going to keep you long. Uh, you should be home before 10 o'clock, hopefully, if the traffic's not too bad. So Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, we'll get right into the word of the Lord. Exodus chapter 1, verse number 8, certainly give honor to my pastor, to our bishop tonight. Certainly love, appreciate them. Good to see my wife and kids here tonight. Uh, it's always good to look down and see those little kiddos down there. Exodus 1 and 8, the Bible says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, uh, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, that they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters, to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and they grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. The last verse there. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor verse number 12 the bible says but the more they afflicted them the more they grew and they were grieved because of the children of israel i'm not going to be long tonight but i, I do want to preach to you and hopefully encourage somebody encourage a pastor encourage a minister i know tonight uh you try to preach with a shotgun you try to hit everybody that's here tonight so we definitely want to preach to you and encourage you i want to preach tonight on this topic no pain no gain. No pain, no gain. I, I know you've done it before, but if you could lay your Bibles down one more time, lift up your hands to the Lord, and let's ask God's anointing to meet us in this room. Father, we love you tonight. We worship you. Lord, let your presence, God, meet us in this room. God, let your word speak into somebody's life and encourage them. Lord, encourage a pastor tonight. Encourage a minister tonight. Encourage a saint tonight. Lord, let our hearts and minds be in this room in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord one more time before you're seated. The Bible says clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God. While you're clapping, why don't you just shout to the Lord. Give Him a hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Has God been good to you? I know he has. I know he has. You may be seated tonight. We have small groups at our church, and on Wednesday nights uh, in our small group, we've been on a journey to learn a little bit more about the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is extremely important to Christianity because without the Old Testament, we would be clueless. Uh, without the Old Testament, we would have no idea what was happening in the New Testament. I, I know we tell most Christians uh, the, especially new ones, to stay out of the Old Testament for learning's sake and for discipleship. But the fact of the matter is that without the Old Testament, we wouldn't have a clue as far as what we were doing. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Genesis sets the stage for the entire Old Testament, and without the book of Genesis, we would be lost. There is not another book of the Bible that is contested as much as the book of Genesis. That book alone brings about enough debate for uh, all of Christianity. At the end of Genesis, there's about 70 Jews. At the beginning of Exodus, there's over 
million Jews. There was about a 400-year gap between the books of Genesis and Exodus. And the, the nation of Israel grew at a very rapid pace because God had established a covenant with Abraham. God came to Abraham, who was living in the Ur of Chaldees, and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and you are going to be a blessed man. But if we stop right there and establish the fact that Abraham was living in a land of idolatry. Abraham grew up in a family where idolatry was commonplace. He was 75 years old, and to top it off, his wife Sarah could not have any children. So God looks at a senior citizen who lives in a land of idolatry, and his wife can't have children, and God says, I'm going to make you the father of my nation, and you're going to have a million children. Instead of Abraham turning a deaf ear to the voice of God, and instead of Abraham saying, you know what, this is crazy. I, I'm not even sure who, 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 who's talking to me. My wife, she can't have children. Instead of turning a deaf ear to that, the Bible says in Hebrews that Abraham started walking away from his home place in the Ur of Chaldees. And the Bible says he didn't even know where he was going. But Abraham just started walking. God wanted to make sure that at the very root of Israel's history, at the very beginning of God's great nation, there was a man that operated on faith. Before the first city was ever established, the foundation of faith had to be laid. Because without faith, God's nation could have never been born. Without faith, God's plan could have never been executed. God took a man that was living in a land of idolatry with no children, and he said, I want you to be the very beginning of my story. Are you getting me tonight? You understand? He, he was living in a land of idolatry, didn't have any kids, 75 years old, and God looks at him and says, I want you to be the very beginning of my nation and my story. Faith was laid. At the very beginning, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible says this, that when the Son of Man returns, he's looking for one thing. What's he looking for? Will he find faith on this earth? God started this thing with faith, and 4,000 years later, God is still operating on one thing, and that is our faith. Faith is more than you just saying, I believe in God. Faith is more than you just saying, oh, I believe that, you know, there's, there's a God up there. Faith is you walking away from Ur and saying, God, I don't know where I'm going, but God, I'm trusting in you. Faith is you taking your son up to an altar and praying, God, I don't know why I've got to give this thing up, but God, I've got faith and I'm trusting in you. Faith is more than you just saying, I believe. Faith is you stepping out so that God can step in. That's what faith is. Faith, faith is more than you just saying, God's not dead, I believe. Faith is more than just that. Faith is you getting out of the boat so that God can show you how powerful that he really is. Let me ask you something tonight. When's the last time that you stepped out on faith? Oh, come on tonight. Somebody help me. Come on, somebody get with me. When's the last time that you have personally stepped out on faith and you've asked God, God, I don't know why I'm doing this, but God, I believe that when I step out, you're going to show up. 
When's the last time that your family stepped out? When's the last time your church has stepped out? When's the last time you put your safety and your comfort on the back burner and said, God, I am going to trust you? What would you do tonight if you knew God would step in for you? I want to preach to this fellowship tonight. I want to preach to you great ministers and you great people tonight. I promise you, you are some of the best people I have ever known in my life. Don't be alarmed by what we see taking place in our nation and in our cities. Don't be caught off guard. You said it tonight at the very beginning. Don't be caught off guard by statements that's going to be made by our elected leaders. Don't be shocked. It's It's what's getting ready to come down the pike in some of our cities, in some of our schools, between the, uh, the transgender bathrooms, the gay marriages, Iran deals, the, the Middle East, our new president, hell is opening wide its mouth to consume every church, every man, every woman, every young person. But while hell is opening up its mouth, God is giving men and women room with faith to step up. It says, I don't know what's going on around me. I don't understand everything that's getting passed. But God, what I do know is this church, my life, my family is going to operate on faith. And we're going to step out on faith and we're going to believe God is going to show up for us. There's already a falling away of saints. I, I know inside your churches where you are, there's a handful of people. They're constantly, that, that back door's it's like a revolving door. You know, that in they come, out they go. Personal trials and personal tribulations. There's already a separation happening of the sheep and the goat. The tares are growing with the wheat. Saints are backsliding right now. You, know, you want to know why they're backsliding? It's because they were serving God based upon their emotions. There's coming a day when we won't be persuaded by our emotions. If people's having a hard time living for God right now, they're not going to make it unless God gets a hold of them. we got to grow up, put our big point pants on. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Don't you serve them based off your emotions. Serve them based off your faith that you know God is going to provide for you. God is going to see you through. Is there anybody in this room that's got faith tonight that says, God, you can do anything? Wait, wait until they close our church door. Riots happening around our country. These riots are going to a whole nother level. Eventually, there's going to come a point in time when the just is going to have to live by faith. God started this nation on faith. God will finish this thing on faith. This nation of faith that God began with Abraham now sits in Egypt. And the Pharaoh of that time doesn't remember who this great man Joseph was. So instead of seeing... God's people, this Pharaoh looks at this large mass amount of people and he sees a threat. The Pharaoh begins to afflict this children of Israel. He turns from homeowners into slaves. Instead of being a part of the land, they become foreigners and they become strangers. The last thing this wicked Pharaoh wanted was a people that could overthrow his power. He turns their everyday work into affliction. He makes their work that much more difficult. The Bible even goes so far as to say that the Hebrews lived under bondage. The Bible says in verse 11, Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. 
they built Pharaoh treasure cities. But the more they afflicted them, watch this, the more they afflicted them, the more they grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Think about that scripture. Come on, th think with me this afternoon. The more that they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they grew. It was the opposite effect of what Pharaoh wanted. It was the exact opposite of what Pharaoh thought would happen. The more that he hurt them, the more that he beat them, the more that he scourged them, the more they just kept multiplying. Let me break that down as simple as I can. The more they got hurt in the daytime, the more intimate they became in the nighttime. One would think that affliction and slavery would make these Hebrews go home exhausted and tired and beat down. But instead, when the Hebrews got home, they still reproduced and they was intimate with their spouse despite the beating they had during the day. Their affliction created more intimacy because over their lives was a promise given to them by their father Abraham. Their promise was strong than their affliction. You know where I'm going. Their promise was stronger than their affliction. What Pharaoh thought he could destroy only made them stronger. Can I tell you tonight that the enemy of your souls has only one thing in mind. He wants to destroy your church. He wants to destroy your ministry. He wants to destroy your family, your life, your future with affliction, with hardships. He wants you to serve with oppression. He wants to make your ministry hard. He wants to make it difficult every time you out the pulpit and every time you try to preach a message on faith and hope but what the devil forgot is there is still a promise that is over your lives and there's still a promise that's over your church no matter how hard the devil comes against you God's anointing God's favor is still over your life and by faith we still preach by faith we still live and God's promise is greater than any affliction the hurt, the pain that everyone sees in the daytime is not affecting what you are doing in the nighttime because you have learned despite the affliction, the beatings, the weaknesses, the infirmities, you can still have rest with the Father. He is the Lord of the Sabbath and He is our perfect rest. And when all hell is breaking loose, you can still grow while you're in Egypt. God can add to your churches even though Satan is attacking you. There are some good people in here today and you look back over your life and you see hurts and disappointments appointments and hang-ups but through it all your worship is that much sweeter your prayer is that much more powerful i've got news for the devil tonight there is still a promise over your life and what's happening to you in the daytime won't affect how you worship god in the nighttime is there anybody in this room that's still operating on faith that you can look back and say, despite every hardship, 
despite every obstacle, despite every letdown, despite every attack from Satan, God has got your back, and you know that you can serve God in the nighttime. You can be intimate with the Father in the nighttime. God still wants you reproducing. God still wants you having more fruit. God still wants you being able to have a move of God despite things going on in your ministry, in your personal life, in the church. The Holy Ghost still wants to help you. Man, I, I read. Nahum, I love this scripture right here. I read this a couple weeks ago. The Bible says, Nahum 1, verses 2 and 3. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take the vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his, watch this, my God, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind. God hath his way in the storm. And the clouds are still the dust of his feet. Our Bible say that the Lord has his way in the tornadoes and in the severe thunderstorms. The storms don't affect God's plans. Your current crisis is not God's chaos. The huge stormy clouds are just the dust under his feet. Our Bible say that God will take care of our enemies because he is jealous for us. Don't you worry about what Pharaoh is doing to you in the daytime. God's got a Red Sea ahead playing just for him. I know Pharaoh's kicking your tail right now. He's trying to make your life miserable. But just give it a little time to be patient. And when you're all alone and nobody's around, you begin to worship God. You have a relationship with God. And God is going to take Take care of your crisis. Baby, listen to me right now. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but my God, he delivered them out of them all. God's got your back. You ain't got to worry about it. God's going to see you through it. There's no tornado that God can't dry up. Are you listening to me tonight? There's no tornado that God can't completely dry up. There's no hurricane that God can't dissolve. There's no sickness that my God cannot heal. There is no door that my God cannot open. Come on, men and women of faith. There is a promise that's over your life. God is growing your church. God is enlarging your territory. God is going to make you stronger. I'm not done, but would you stand to your feet right now, and I want you to lift your hands. Come on. Lift your hands if you can. Lift up your voices right now and say, God, give me, give, Lord, give me more faith. God, I need more faith. There's no tornado that God can't dry up. There's not a problem. There's not a sickness that God cannot heal. Those clouds are the dust of his feet. Praise God. You can be seated. I, I used this story before. If you heard it, pardon me. If you haven't, it's a great story. <clears throat> Several years ago, a true story. Several years ago in the New England area, fishermen, they was facing this huge crisis. These fishermen would go out every day, and they was fishing for oysters and seafood, but discovering that there was a major lack of oysters. This was their livelihood. This was what they brought food home, you know, to, to the table, to the family. 
instead of catching oysters, these fishermen, they were retrieving starfish. They quickly learned that the starfish were eating up all of their oysters. This was a major crisis for these fishermen. So the fishermen thought that they would fix this problem with all the starfish. Every time they pulled up these nets and every time they saw these starfish, they, 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 you can imagine when they, they, they get that big net, they see a bunch of starfish instead of those oysters. They couldn't use starfish. They, you know, the, the oysters is what brought them money. So they, they saw all these starfish, so they said, you know what, we'll take care of this ourselves. So what they did was they took an axe and they just chopped that starfish in half. They killed it, threw it back out into the ocean. Every starfish they saw, they chopped that thing in half, and they threw it back out in the ocean. Well, after several months went on, they started noticing that they was picking up more starfish. Those nets was more full with starfish. They, they, they just got, what in the world is going on? They was agitated. We need some oysters, but we're getting starfish. They said, we got to kill more of these starfish. So they just kept killing all these starfishes, throwing them back out. They back out in the ocean, but they just kept retrieving more starfish. What they did not know is that the starfish has an incredible ability that was given to it by God. It's got the ability to regenerate and grow back. So while the starfish thought that they was killing the starfish by cutting them in half, they was only producing more starfish because the starfish was growing back. The scientists now know that you can even cut a starfish almost directly in half the whole central disc, and it can produce multiple limbs and enough cells just to keep on growing. There was even cases where severed limbs could grow a whole new central disc in the full sea star. It didn't matter how many times that that fisherman caught that thing. It didn't matter how many times it chopped it up. It didn't matter how many times it threw it back out in the ocean. That starfish just kept on growing back. Are you listening to me tonight? It's amazing how God created us with the ability to grow back. It's amazing when you can look at God's creation and you can say, God, I see what you're doing right now. I want everybody under the sound of my voice to know one thing tonight. Just like the starfish, God has created you with the ability to grow back. As the starfish regenerates. As the starfish regenerates from the attack of that knife, God wants you to know it doesn't matter what's been taken away from you, what the enemy has chopped off from your life, what God, what, what the devil has done. God has given you the ability to grow back. And what the devil don't know is he's so stupid. He, he, are you listening to me tonight? The devil don't know the power of regeneration that lives inside of you. What he thought was going to destroy you is just going to make you stronger. You're going to grow from it. You're not dead yet. You are growing. I've got news. Satan can't get rid of the church because the body of Christ has got regenerating power. Pharaoh, you thought you could get rid of the Hebrews. And Satan, you think you can get rid of the church. The enemy can't get rid of you. The enemy's trying to make your life hard. But the promise is greater than the affliction. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead is the same spirit that dwells inside of you. If I feel dead, God can get me up. If I feel wasted, God can get me up. If I feel beat down, God can get me up. 
It's a real physical condition. And it's called CIP. Now, that's initials for a very long word that I cannot pronounce. So I've learned just to say the initials. But take my word for it. There's a real condition called CIP. It's a condition in which a person cannot feel or they never had any type of pain. They don't feel toothaches. They don't feel body aches. Their brains receive more endorphins, and they don't have the ability to feel pain. This condition, although sounds pretty good, is actually very dangerous to have because our bodies send us alerts when something isn't right. Our bodies tell us when something isn't right. We go to the doctor because we feel a pain. We know to take medicine because we feel a pain. Pain sounds awful and not necessary, but pain is an indication that you're alive. And God did not create you spiritually to have CIP. You are not immune to pain. You are not insensitive to the agony and the hurt that this world gives us. There are good people in this room that have gone through tragedies and real-life pain, and it doesn't feel good. Quit trying to fake it and make everyone think that you aren't hurting. You don't have CIP. You're a real-life pastor. You're a real-life saint. You're a real-life man. You're a real-life woman that hurts sometimes. We pray that God would give us CIP. We pray that God would take away our pain. But our spiritual pain is living proof that we are alive and that God's grace is still sufficient. The Hebrews hurt in Egypt. They were beaten and they were afflicted. But what they did in the daytime did not affect what they did in the nighttime. And the only way to alleviate your pain that you're going through is you got to find true intimacy with God in worship. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand, there are pleasures for evermore. Every week we get behind our pulpits and we tell people how important it is to have a relationship with God. But I declare in this room, listen to me right now. I know it's a fellowship meeting on a Saturday afternoon, but listen to me right now. That the only way that me and you are going to survive and make it to heaven is we've got to get in His presence down here. You can never stop pushing for a move of God in your church because people have got to get in the presence of a living God. Hell is beating them up. Hell is going through all kind of torment in their life out there. And when they get in our churches, they've got to feel a move of God. They've got to know that a God still loves them. They've got to know that grace is still sufficient for them. You've got to get in the presence. How many loves the sweet presence of a living God? How, do I got any witnesses in, in this room that can say I've been through some storms, I've been through some rain, but when I got in the presence of God, it made things better. When I got in the presence of God, I felt joy, I felt better, I felt relieved. The Holy Ghost came over me and the Holy Ghost encouraged me. Don't you stop striving to get in His presence. Don't you stop striving to get to a move of God. All lives depend upon it. You need intimate moments with the Father so you can handle the afflictions of the day. And this is the problem. is Pharaoh's been kicking everybody's tail out there, but they're not having any intimate moments with God in worship. And when you don't have that, when you don't have that move of God, you're missing out on everything. The Bible says, 
Genesis 32 and 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. I'm almost done. I'm not going to keep you. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, you know this story. He said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go. I'm not letting you go. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He was desperate. This ain't in the notes, but until we get desperate. He said, and what is thy name? He said, Jacob. He said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with man, and you have prevailed. God did not give Jacob the gift of CIP. Jacob was hurting after he left that meeting with God. Jacob was in pain, and he had to live with that pain for a very long time. Jacob was at a pivotal point of his life. A few weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, uh, I went to a, um, a pastor's anniversary. The local pastor in Nashville had an anniversary banquet, so we stepped in and went to that. And his family was honoring him. His family was standing up, giving all kinds of stories on him. A lot of fun things they was telling about him, just something light, a lot of fun. And, and his sister got up to speak. And his sister started telling about how they used to wrestle as kids. And, you know, they used to uh, fight, you know, play fight, and kind of horse player. You know what I'm talking about? If you ever had a brother and sister, how you'll kind of fight around a little bit. And, and you know how brothers and sisters fight. And she said, we could fight each other. But nobody had ever messed with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, brothers and sisters could fight, but if anybody ever picked on them, you better watch out. You know what I'm saying? Ain't that weird? It's like, I can beat you up, but nobody else can beat you up. Then she made this statement. She said, I always knew if my brother was willing to fight me, then he would always be willing to fight for me. She said, I, I knew if he was willing to fight me, then he'd always be willing to fight for me. In other words, if he loved me enough to wrestle with me, I knew he would go to bat for me when the real enemy came around. Jacob learned a valuable lesson that day. If God was willing to fight some things out of him, God was willing to fight for him. And when Jacob left that wrestling match that day, he was in a lot of pain with his thigh. But the God that was wrestling with him was getting ready to start fighting for him. And from that day, Jacob had a new name of Israel. The next chapter after Jacob uh, wrestled with the angel, guess who comes around that corner? Old brother Esau. He comes around that corner, and he was wanting to have Jacob's head. But the God that just fought Jacob was now getting ready to fight for Jacob. God caused a peace to come over that entire family. Jacob had to limp to his brother because the pain was so great. But that pain did not compare to the victory that God gave him with his family. Somebody listen to me tonight. If God loves you enough to take the time to wrestle some things out of you, you better believe God's going to go to bat for you when the devil comes around. He's got your back. He's going to take care of you. Don't you be ashamed of your limp. 
Don't you be ashamed of your pain. Don't you be ashamed of your past. Don't you be embarrassed about your old lifestyle. Your pain is proof that you are alive and that God will turn a mess into a message. My Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. God wants to take your pain and turn into living proof that His grace is still greater. God's love is still greater. God's got your back. He's going to take care of you despite the hardship, despite the affliction. You're going to grow. God's going to bless you. You're going to grow back. Come on, let's stand tonight. Pastor, if you want to get a song together, that's fine. But this is what I felt in the Holy Ghost to tell someone tonight. Listen to me right now. Come on, don't check out. Don't check out. Listen to me. I felt led to tell someone here tonight that don't let the problems that you're currently facing right now, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your church, whether it's in your personal life, don't you let it scare you. What you thought Satan was taking from you God's getting ready to restore and give back to you. And God wants to give the people of God a revelation, or should I say an illumination of His Word, that says that you can still grow in Egypt. You can still grow while you're in Egypt. You think that while you're in Egypt is wasted time. You think all I'm doing is going through hard times. Every day when I get up, there's a problem facing me. Every Sunday when I'm out in the pulpit, there's a problem right there. You feel like, my God, we're not making any crown. We're not doing anything good. God wants me to tell you that you can still grow while you're in Egypt. While Pharaoh's coming against you, while the enemy's coming against you, God wants you to know that his promise that is over your ministry, his promise that is over your life, is greater than anything you're going through outside these four walls. God's grace is greater. And right now, you're just feeling the effects of a chopped axe going through your life. And you feel like you're being thrown out to sea. You feel like all is lost. Everything is gone. God wants you to know you're going to grow back. Don't you worry about it. God's going to allow you to grow back. You've got regenerating power. God has given you the ability to grow some things back. The joy that you thought the enemy's taken, God's going to give you back your joy. God's going to give you back your happiness. God's going to give you back your peace. The Holy Ghost wants to restore you. The Holy Ghost wants to do great things for your life. Despite the hard times, God wants you to know that you can still grow. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. You've got to face some things, but in the end, you're going to see the power of God that's going to do great things in your life. Do you believe that tonight? This is what I want you to do. Uh, Do I have the liberty to open up altar call? I know it's fellowship meeting night, and I understand, but I, I want us to lift up our hands before anybody comes down. I want us to lift up our hands right now. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that the Word of God would not return void. That your presence, your spirit, your word, God, will settle into somebody's life. That, God, your word would speak to somebody and let them know that they can grow back. God, you're going to let them know that the power of the living God wants to rest over them. That, God, you're with them, Lord, even while they're in Egypt. That, God, you're with them even through the hard times. God, your spirit, Lord, is with them right now. In the name of Jesus.
He's going to play. He's going to sing. I wonder if I could get a few saints just to get out of your seats tonight. Let's gather down at this altar. I want us to pray down here at the altar for a few minutes. We're going to pray for each other. If you're going through a hard time, I want to pray for you tonight. If you're facing a difficult moment in your Egypt, I want to pray with you tonight. Come on, as, as he plays. Come on, as you come down to this altar, don't you stand and look around. I want you to lift up your hands and worship God. Father, in Jesus' name.